0: Your Bibles to Micah chapter 2, Micah 2 verse 6. Micah 2 beginning in verse 6. We return today to our sermon series in the Minor Prophets that we suspended for Holy Week, but we are back now to it and we will begin today in Micah 2 verse 6. Some years ago, I was driving to traffic court to fight a penalty, a fine that I had been given. I've received way too many traffic fines over the years, most of which I absolutely deserved, a few of which maybe I didn't. This one I was convinced that I could get out of. Not because I didn't deserve it, but because I could get out of it. You see, I had realized that with the omission of one simple fact, my case sounded pretty strong. And as I drove to court that day, I was reminded, I'm going to assume this was the spirit of God pricking my conscience, I was reminded of the oath that I would have to take in court. An oath to tell the truth. No problem. The whole truth. Problem. And nothing but the truth. No problem. I wasn't going to lie at any point. I wasn't going to say anything that wasn't accurate and true. I just was going to leave out one fact. But in leaving out that fact, I skewed the reality of the situation in my favor. And so the truth, though there were no lies, the truth was not represented or would not have been. I turned the car around, I drove home, I called the court, I entered my guilty plea over the phone, I paid my fine with my credit card, and that was that. But it is a good picture of the warning that Micah presents to us. In the second chapter, this uh, sermon that we find here in the book of Micah. So as we prepare to hear the word of Micah today, let's keep in mind that it is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, which does set us free in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, by your spirit and through your words, instruct us today about the whole truth of your good news. Keep me from omitting any truth which you have proclaimed and from adding any error which you have not said. Let your word shine forth today. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Micah chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. We will stop frequently as we go through this to offer some comments. There is an outline for the sermon on the insert in the bulletin, and I will be following along with that outline, so that even now we are looking at that first point, gospel omission. Gospel omission. Let's consider Micah 2, beginning in verse 6. Do not preach, thus they preach, One should not preach such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Here Micah is preaching about the preachers of his day. Micah and Hosea and Isaiah are contemporaries. They all live about the same time period and they are prophets. They are the preachers whose message has been retained through the ages. But we see from all of them that they were not the only preachers of their day. Micah here is making reference to the fact that there were other preachers. Simply because we have the record of Micah, Hosea, and Isaiah, it doesn't mean there were no other preachers in that time. And in fact, there were a great many other preachers. We probably should ponder why it is we have the record of those three and not all the others. But what we find here is Micah preaching about the preachers of his day. We might remember the Great Awakening. Perhaps we studied that in a history class somewhere. And perhaps there will be familiar names like Jonathan Edwards or Charles Wesley. We sang one of his songs this morning, and can it be? Or perhaps you know the name uh, uh, of George Whitefield, these famous preachers from the Great Awakening. But there were thousands of other faithful preachers who were preaching. And there were thousands of preachers who opposed the message of the Great Awakening. It was not a uniform time in American history where everybody was on the same page. But we have remembered the guys like Edwards and Whitfield and Wesley. So it is with this time. Now it's interesting also how Micah uh, addresses this, how Micah talks about this. The word here for preaching. Uh, some of your translations might use the word prophecy. The word there is an interesting word in the Hebrew. You see, it's not the ordinary word used for prophets. It is not the word uh, uh, navi, which is generally used for prophets, but rather uh, uh, the word uh, um, uh, uh, natap, which appears only 16 times in the Old Testament. And the vast majority of those 16 times... It occurs like this. Let me give you a couple of examples. Proverbs 5.3 The lips of a forbidden woman natop honey. Now does that conjure a preaching? Does that conjure a prophecy? In that context, it's kind of this... Uh, hmm, it's an interesting thing. Something about her speech, the lips, they natop honey. Song of Solomon, uh, three times the Song of Solomon, I'll pick out one of them. Um, Your lips... The top nectar, my bride. Again, they don't. Not the idea of preaching, but rather it's the idea of the the physical uh, uh, outcropping, the physical appearance of what's associated with the words. And so, most translations in those two settings use the word drip. The lips of the forbidden woman drip honey. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. It is a physical picture of the attractiveness of the content of their words. So why does Micah use that unusual word here? Well, most commentators are agreed that he's trying to conjure up a different physical picture of the content of the words. You see, his opponents are mocking him. They're mocking Isaiah. They're mocking Hosea. It is not a picture of... Dripping this time, but rather the foaming at the mouth, the frothing. Micah, you've got yourself worked up into a tizzy. You're, fo- you're foaming at the mouth. You're frothing. You're so uh, worked up and so bent out of shape, and you're preaching that you're foaming at the mouth, and they're telling him, stop it, Micah. Stop the foaming at the mouth. Stop going on and on. Come on, Micah, dear Isaiah, friend Hosea, don't preach such doom and gloom. Notice the wording there. Disgrace will not overtake us. You're prophesying that we're going to fall to the Assyrians. That could never happen. We are Yahweh's people. You remember Yahweh, don't you, Micah? He's the God who freed us from Egypt. He would never let us fall back into slavery and disgrace. You see what's going on here. They're mocking the preaching of Micah. Uh, 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 and will remind us that the original language, the, the, the Hebrew in which this was originally written, had no punctuation. All the punctuation in your modern English Bibles is added by the translators. And there are places where it's crystal clear all the translators are in complete agreement. This is not one of those cases. And what we are about to read next, there is some confusion about where the quotation marks go. For example, in my Bible, the quote ends after verse, uh, 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 lost my place here, Uh, ends after verse 6. Some Bibles have it going into verse 9. I think it should at least continue through verse 7. So let's continue now in verse 7 and how Micah characterizes the preaching of his opponents. Should this be said, O house of Jacob? Has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? These are rhetorical questions, and the obvious answer that they call for is no. No, we should not be preaching like this, Micah. Should this be said, O house of Jacob? No, it should not be said. Come on, Micah, what are you doing? Has the Lord grown impatient? Of course not, Micah. Stop it. God loves us. He would never condemn us. He'd never be impatient with us. Are these his deeds? Come on, Micah. Our God doesn't turn us over to the Assyrians. Our God raises up kings like David. That's our God. He would never subject us to the Assyrians. And then there's another rhetorical question, and this time for rhetorical effect, Micah flips it. Rather than expecting a no, this this question expects a yes do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? Well, of course, right? Come on, Micah, God's word is a blessing. God's word is always just goodness and, and joy and cheer for those who are his. Isn't that the clear message of the word of God? You know what? The the perversion of the gospel is often not about what is added to it, but rather about what is taken from it. The perversion of the gospel is not often about what is added to it, but about what is taken from it. These ancient prophets in Micah's day are preaching the word of God, they are preaching the Bible, And my guess is they're doing it with great skill, with great talent. They are probably wonderful men, wonderful friends, great neighbors. Don't we wish that all false teachers were drunks and wife beaters and tax cheaps? Make them a lot easier to spot, wouldn't it? But that's not how Satan works. Satan is no idiot. The lie is clothed in something very attractive. And these men are preaching God's word. They're preaching Exodus 34.6. Flip over, keep your finger in Micah 2, flip over to Exodus 34.6. Look at Exodus 34.6. This is what they're preaching, this is their text. They're not adding things to the word of God. They're preaching Exodus 34.6. Which says, the Lord Yahweh. The Lord, the Lord Yahweh, Yahweh. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. They're preaching the Bible. It has often been said that every heretic has his verse. The problem is not with what they're preaching, but with what they're not preaching. It is a gospel omission that Micah is calling out. You see, they're not going on to preach 34 7. He will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. They conveniently forget that verse. Much easier to do back... By the way, this is one of the reasons you should always... We put a lot of text in our bulletin. We do not put the sermon text in, and this is why, right here. You must always look at your Bible and be sure I'm not pulling it out of context. Back then... Joe, average churchgoer, didn't have a copy of the scriptures. Only the priests had the scriptures. And so they were reading 34 6 and keeping silent about 34 7. They were proclaiming this wonderful news of God's mercy and of his grace and of his steadfast love and his compassion and his forgiveness. And they were not proclaiming 34 7. But he will by no wise clear the guilty. Their pollution, their perversion of the gospel was in their omission. You see, we human beings struggle with both-and concepts. Things that are both-and. We like the either-or. We like the cut-and-dried. We like to uh, put things in a a big group, uh, uh, stereotype, label that group, and just assume everybody in that group must be like that. I mean, look at how our world is struggling right now. Either police are villains or they're heroes. It's either or. We have no ability to say, maybe it's both and. Maybe the vast majority of police are wonderful, upright, law-abiding, law-enforcing members of our society, but there are some bad apples. It's not either or, it's both and. How many doctrines do we get wrong? Because we focus on the free will of human or the sovereignty of God. It's one or the other when the scriptures proclaim both and. We have said to ourselves, we we tend to focus, we're, we're good Orthodox Christians here at Shore Harvest. We would never say that Jesus was not God or was not human. We would always know he's both God and both human. But I think most of us, when it really comes down to it, we default to thinking of him only as divine. I think we forget about his humanity because it's hard to accept the both and. And here Micah is saying, it's not that you you can't preach the good news of the grace of God and the faithfulness of God and the mercy of God. It's not mercy or judgment, grace or condemnation. It's both and. That both need to be declared, Micah is saying. This may never be more true than with the gospel itself. We love the message of God's loving kindness in making heaven available to us, but we forget the context of hell, which stands as the alternative. I am convinced that one reason the church's evangelistic message has been weakened over these last many decades has been the loss of the doctrine of hell. We proclaim that Jesus saves, but the world is scratching its head and saying, from what? Saves us from what? I'm in no danger. I'm in no peril. I need no salvation. Without the context of judgment, without the context of God's wrath against sin, salvation becomes a meaningless doctrine. Empty, Mm -hmm. devoid, vain, and worthless. We have, today in the church, this very thing going on. Many even within our own denomination who are excited to preach the happy, pleasant, feel-good side of things. No matter what text they begin in, they're going to end in Romans 5. We just all rest in Christ. It's all good news, it's all happy. It is in effect, just just as back then they were preaching Exodus 34.6 without 34.7, Today, we preach Ephesians 2, 8, 9 without verse 10. 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. And we preach that with great joy. And we name countless churches Grace Church. And we have all the ministries that proclaim the grace of God and the ministry of God to it. And it's a wonderful message, and we ought to proclaim it. But we forget Verse 10. We say, we, you know, I, I have literally had a PCA minister say to me, I could never sit under preaching where I'm being told I have to do things. Not, here's what's wrong with that scripturally, I just couldn't sit under it. As if verse 10 didn't exist. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. To do good works, which God has prepared in advance, that we might walk into them. We cannot hear part of the word of God without hearing all of it. That is gospel omission. It is a perversion. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Jesus himself said, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Jesus himself said, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. And unless we think for a moment that, well, that just means the unsaved people. Paul takes that teaching, and when he writes to the Romans, in Romans fourteen twelve, Paul applies it this way. So then each of us will give an account to God Him. Brothers and sisters, we cannot hold to a gospel that says is warm and fuzzy, everything's wonderful and good. You need not worry about anything if we don't also proclaim the second part of that. You are going to stand before God and give an account for what you did with the freedom you have in Christ you are one day going to stand before God and give an account for what you did with the salvation he gave you. Forgiveness does not negate obligation. Jesus says that with the forgiveness I bring you, I have expectations of you. You know, it's interesting. As you think about the ministry of Jesus, to whom was he gentlest, kindest, kindest, friendliest. It was with the prostitutes and the tax collectors, those who really didn't know any better. He was patient with them. With his disciples, those who should have known better, those who had been called, those who had been taught and instructed, he was pretty harsh. How many times did he say, ye of little faith, to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And to the Pharisees, who had spent their whole life Steeped in the word of God, he unleashes on them. You brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs, because you are not living in accord with what you claim to have studied and learned. Micah. Looks at the preachers of his day. These are preachers who say, Don't preach disgrace. Don't preach that we're going to fall to Assyria. Just preach the happy, the joyous. That's all we want to hear. And he says, That is a gross gospel omission. Gospel omission leads to gospel rejection. Look at verse 8. But lately my people have arisen up, have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful homes, houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. Rich robes and delightful houses speak of the economic prosperity at the time of Micah's ministry. I don't think it's any coincidence... That throughout history, the poor have been the first and the fastest to receive the gospel. For the poor live a life in close proximity to the wrath of God against sin. When a storm comes, it's their homes that are wiped out. When a pandemic hits, they're the ones who cannot get adequate medical attention. They get that God is angered about sin because they live so close to the reality of that day in and day out. And the wealthy in Israel and Judah could not imagine a scenario where their lives would be undone because of the wealth amidst which they live. Micah points out in these verses how it was that where there were gospel omissions, there is eventually going to be gospel rejection. Notice in verse 10, and again, I think this probably, we should be seeing this as a Micah returning, putting uh, hypothetical words in the, in the mouths of his opponents, I think is how we should understand verse 10. Micah is saying, uh, um, Micah is speaking on behalf of his opponents, Arise and go, do not stay here. Some of the translations you have in front of you might say, get out. And sarcastically they add, obviously Micah, you think this place is unclean. So why do you want to stay here? We don't want you here. And you think the place is unclean, so beat it out of here. Just go home. Years and years of a truncated gospel a gospel that omits the wrath of God against sin, a gospel which was devoid of God's holiness, which only proclaimed his love and his compassion and his goodness, has led to a people who reject the truth when God's messenger brings it. Go home, Micah. We don't want to hear from you. Gospel omission leads to gospel rejection. And then there is gospel perversion. Gospel perversion. You see, rarely does the church just simply set aside the word of God altogether. That would be too obvious. That would be too blatant. Even the, 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 the most uh, hardened layperson would be at that point go, ooh, I'm not comfortable with that. So what do we do instead? We pervert the gospel. We, we make it to be what we want it to be. Look at verse 11. If a man should go about and utter wind... One of the translations says, if a man should go about and be a windbag. I like that. Be a windbag. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for this people. I don't think any of us can deny that over the last decades there has been a proliferation of books which call themselves Christian, but which proclaim a a, a prosperity gospel, a health and wealth gospel. Some of the titles are familiar to you. Your Best Life Now, The Prayer of Jabez how to manipulate God into getting everything you want from him. And these books sell millions of copies, while the works of theological weight languish on bookstore shelves. Another way to look at it, did a little looking. I went to BibleGateway.com, the most commonly used uh, uh, internet Bible source out the, uh, there. I did a little search on the most commonly searched verses. What verses do people look up? The top four are interesting. In fact, the top uh, 18 are interesting. Let me give you the first four. You probably can guess the first one. The most commonly searched Bible verse is John 3.16. No surprise speaks of God's love for us, God's salvation for us. The second most commonly searched verse, at least in 2020, Jeremiah 29:11. "I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future." I'm going to guess that nobody bothers to put that in the context of Jeremiah, to recognize that that is a prophecy Jeremiah gave to a particular people at a particular time. It does not transcend the ages. It does not necessarily apply to me today. But that's how we take it, I'm sure. The third most common, Romans 8.28. And we know then in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And of course, we all assume that we love him. We all assume that we've been called according to his purpose. So we all assume that he's working for our good. Philippians 4.13 was the fourth most common. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Do you notice in these four most commonly searched verses, the me focus? God loves me and sent his son. God has a plan for me to prosper me. God is working all things for my good. I can do all things. When I researched that list, I did not know this was going to be there, but I'm glad it was. Below the list was a commentary from Colin Hansen. Colin Hansen is the editorial director of the Gospel Coalition and apparently also writes for Bible Gateway. He wrote the following, and I'm quoting colin hansen let me mention an omission from that list maybe you caught it too knowing the whole bible and not just the most searched passages you realize that the absence is glaring you won't learn from this list why god needs to redeem the world he created you won't learn why his love is so significant you won't find any warning of what's to come if you don't believe. In short, you won't read about our sin and God's wrath. Actually, you need to follow the list all the way down to Numbers 19 and 20 to find sin. And even these don't talk about God's wrath against sin. Number 19 is 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And number 20, uh, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we neglect sin and the Lord's righteous wrath, then we haven't understood even the basics of Scripture and God's true character. Like I said, I didn't go there looking for Colin Hansen to give me so much meat to the sermon, but I am thankful he did. The Bible verses we choose to search reveal how we have perverted the knowledge of God and his gospel. The good news is not that God's wrath has been averted by Christ's work, but that there was never any wrath to worry about. God is simply there to make me happy. Beer and wine, my translation, wine and strong drink, pleasure, happiness, contentment, that is the message we want. Not much has changed since Micah's day. That was the message that people wanted back then. Just let me know when I get home from work, I'm going to be able to kick up my feet, enjoy a glass of wine and Relax. That's all they wanted then. All we want today. Gospel omission leads to gospel rejection. When we reject the gospel, we substitute in its place some perversion we call a gospel. But if I quit here, if we quit after verse 11, we will be guilty of the very things we're accusing those And that day, we will fail to proclaim the whole truth. Look at verses 12 and 13. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture. A noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. You know, you can follow a recipe by adding an ingredient not called for, but you can follow a recipe by leaving out what should have been in there. If you omit the sugar then the message lacks the sweetness of the gospel that does attract. And if you omit the vinegar, the message lacks the bite that makes it worth coming to. We cannot omit the vinegar, and that Micah has warned us of. We cannot omit the, the message of God's condemnation of sin. We cannot omit the message that God will call all mankind to account someday neither can we omit verses 12 and 13. And praise God, Micah did not. For those verses show us something amazing. We may not understand the, the wording of verse 13. Let me give you some of the backdrop. We've jumped into the middle of a, a longer sermon. My, this sermon actually begins back in Micah 1, verse 2, and we're now just picking up the end of it. And in chapter 1, Micah warns that God himself, Yahweh, is going to bring the Assyrians to invade Samaria and Jerusalem. Samaria and Jerusalem were the capital cities of the northern kingdom of Israel and of Judah, respectively. They were walled, fortified cities. And God is going to destroy their walls, overcome their defenses, so that the the Assyrians can, can conquer them. In 722 BC, that happens to Samaria. In 701 BC, it almost happens to Jerusalem. But her king repents because of the preaching of Micah and Isaiah. And he humbles himself before God, and God spares Jerusalem on that occasion. But Micah is telling us here in verse 13 you notice the wording there. He who opens the breach. Who is that then? In the context of Micah chapter 1, it's God. It's Yahweh. It's the Lord who is opening that breach. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate going out by it. The message is this, that while it was God who allowed the Assyrians in to destroy you, it is that same God who will one day lead you out in victory. It is that same God who will one day take you out by the hand, leading you as your king. For it is not that because of the perversion of the gospel, because of gospel omission and gospel perversion, that that the church is going to cease to exist. In fact, in our Sunday school class today, we're dealing with chapter 25 of our Westminster Confession of Faith. And one of the paragraphs says this. The purest churches under heaven are subject both to fear and error, and some have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ but synagogues of Satan. Nevertheless, there shall be always a church on earth to worship God according to his will. The church will persevere. It will continue, despite our human inclinations to to omit key elements from the gospel, to pervert the gospel into something we like. That does not thwart God's plan among his people. We are called to a faithful message. And we must desire, uh, I I must be held to account to preach the fullness of the counsel of God, and we must individually uh, desire the fullness of the counsel of God, but when we fail in that, when we fall short of that, nevertheless, God maintains his remnant for his purposes. Look at verse 12. I said earlier about how we have a me focus, an I focus. We see a lot of eyes in verse 12, but who's the speaker? I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. God is still at work. He is still calling people to himself. Despite our errors, despite the, the, the flawed message we present, nevertheless, his word rules His Christ reigns, and his people are being gathered. The question is only this. Will we be faithful and be a part of that? Or will we be unfaithful and left to the side? Let us be a people who want the full counsel of God. Even the parts that don't make us happy. Even the parts that bring a message that is a bit unnerving. Even the parts which, which cause us to lie awake sometimes. You see, ultimately, it is the word of God which, which uh, uh, brings... How, how's the song, how's the hymn go? Um, grace, my fears um, uh, 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 relieved. Well, it's only because grace brought those fears... To you. you cannot be relieved of those fears if you first haven't understood what you need to be afraid of. The truth will set you free. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Let's pray. Lord God, as we hear Micah's preaching against false teachers, we ask for your Mercy upon us. Protect us from that false message. Protect us from a a gospel which tickles our ears and pleases uh, 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 us, and instead lead us into a gospel that reminds us of what we've actually been saved from. Your wrath against sin. Your holy anger against those who do not. Submit and repent. And let us worship you more richly. Appreciate you more fully. Follow you more closely. Because we have seen where we might have been. Let us stand in the ministry of Micah. And say, there but for the grace of God. Go I. We pray this. In the gracious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.